And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Investment Property Income Podcast. My name is Jeff Eady. And joining me today, as always, is my good friend, a very handsome man, and one of Canada's top mortgage brokers, Mr. Jonathan Tilger. Jonathan, how are you today? Uh, Jeff, when I'm talking to you, always phenomenal. How are you doing? I'm <laughs> great, thanks. Um, so let's get right into it today. This is an interesting topic, especially um, having watched the economic reports as of late. Let's talk about buying pre-construction. Are we going to say that we're going to just do condos or pre-construction properties in general? Let, let, let's just let's just say pre-construction. And if we get into the conversation, we want to differentiate buying a house versus a condo. Definitely. Okay, fantastic. So um, I do know that right now we have an all-time shortage of new housing. I think right now we're at uh, the latest stat I heard was 1.7 months of new housing, meaning if we didn't have any more houses being built today in basically 1.7 months, there would be absolutely no homes for anyone to buy in the new construction sector. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for pre-construction buyers? Well, it just means that, that I'll say the downside I'm seeing with that is that it means that the, the builders are going in and because they're, because their inventory is selling so fast, they're often able to charge premiums. Mm -hmm. Which I, I mean, right now with construction costs being so high, wood and copper and everything else, I would think prices are going up in general. Yes. Um, yeah. I believe the latest I heard, uh, I, I've got two of them actually that I wrote down this morning. One was uh, almost 557,000. And that's if you don't include the GTA in Vancouver, which I think is our kind of truest price for the rest of the country. But if you include those two major urban centers, we're looking at uh, over 700,000, which is kind of crazy. That's a, uh, that's the average. Yeah. So how does one go about getting into one of these pre-construction deals? Where do you look? Um, how do you finance that? Or do you finance that? Because it's so far out. So whenever you're going into pre-construction, I mean, as far, as far as how to get in on them, to get to actually get in with a lot of pre-construction, because as you indicated right from the start, things are selling pretty fast nowadays. You really need a realtor who has connections with some of these builders. No kidding. So like you can't go find this on your own or you can't just grab, you know, your uh, cousin's nephew's brother who's been in real estate for the last six months and you want to give him a shot. You you can try. The only thing is because things are selling so fast nowadays, if you really want to buy pre-construction, it's important to have somebody who's got some connections who can get you in kind of maybe a step ahead of, of the general public because a lot of these a lot of these pre-construction things are selling out pretty fast especially in I know in the GTA area area a lot of them are selling very fast nowadays yeah it's uh, it's always been an interesting sector to me because um, I've seen some massive profits that people have made in very short periods of time uh, especially if you invested five years ago the jumps right now are kind of pretty significant. <clears throat> from a investor standpoint, what does this look like? Like kind of explain the structure, could you? Well, so as far as how it works pre-construction is, is there will be a series of deposits that are needed. And I'll just say, I mean, a house, usually if you're buying a pre-construction house, it's usually like somewhere between nine months and maybe a year and a half and that'll be ready. 
when you're dealing with condo buildings, those are generally about three and a half to five years. So essentially you're buying today for something that would be closing in maybe 2025. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you've, you've found a project that you like, what's the deposit structure usually look like? It will vary based on the project and the builder, but generally speaking, it will usually be, uh, usually be, at signing, there will be a, a small deposit required, usually $5,000, something like that. Uh, you do have, it's I believe it's a 10-day period where you can review the documents, have your lawyer look at them, where you can back out. And if you choose to back out during that period, then your deposits will be returned and it's kind of no harm, no foul. I believe that's the Canadian Consumer Protection Act, if I'm not mistaken. That's, that's all industries and all major purchases. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. so, so then... Then after that, usually at the completion of that 10-day period, you decide you're moving forward, then the balance of your first deposit will be due, which typically most, I know most projects that I have participated in, the first overall deposit is, is 5% of the purchase price. Okay. And then you'll usually have, so how it's usually set up is you'll have 5%, then Again, this will vary. Timing will vary, but usually it's, let's call it about 90 days later, another 5% is due. And then usually about a year or so after that, third 5% is due. And the final 5% on the deposit structure usually due on when at the start of occupancy. Okay. So whole bunch of questions about this. <laughs> First of all, um, does it mean that I have to have 20% to have one of these? There are some projects that, that the total deposit structure is only 5% or 10%. I have seen those, but the majority of, of new construction projects, it usually ends up being about 20%. So it's not typically first-time home buyers? No, no. But as I said, there, there are many projects I've seen where it, the total deposit is just 5%. Okay. And <clears throat> what is the advantage of having this stepped-out structure to the deposit? It just, well, it gives you time to save and put the money together as opposed to, oh, you need 20% and we need it with, we need it with two days, basically. Now it's basically, it's spread out over, spread out over a period of uh, really the, the first portion, about a year and a half, and then the balance, the, the last 5% in what, three years time or so. Okay. And from a financing perspective, what's this look like? Do you... Do you go in getting financed right away or is this something like you could put it down and not get financed and possibly lose it? It's, it's always one of these, I, I, I look from a mortgage broker standpoint, I always laugh when they say that going, well, I'm buying this, this condo, it's closing in five years time. I need to show that I'm pre-approved going, yeah, okay. So based, based on your circumstance today, you can be pre-approved based on what you're doing five years from now, I can't guarantee that's going to be the same because you may not be working doing the same thing you're doing you are today. <laughs> so, so usually, so the builders will typically want a pre-approval done at the time of that you're putting down the initial deposits. Essentially, it's saying that, that yes, you've looked at the financing, you know you can get the financing based on what you have today. So you're not just blindly just putting your deposit down and hoping for the best. Okay. So you need, you need that part done, but really, really the financing gets put in place generally a couple months before you actually close on the property. Okay. And what happens if that time your circumstances have changed and you're no longer able to afford that? Then you've got, uh, then you've got a few options. I mean, you can just walk away 
probably lose your deposits. Uh, or you do have, depending on the clauses, and this goes back to to the to the documentations. I always say that that every every agreement you enter into is not at the time when it closes, but at the time you sign the documentation. So understanding the clauses that are in there. Do you have an assignment clause? And if you have an assignment clause, what's the cost actually to actually execute on the assignment? What the assignment means is that you have the ability to sell your option to purchase this at a set price prior to actually closing and taking possession of it. At a set price? Well, I just mean that that you have the your ability to purchase at let's just say that that your pre-construction price what the price you bought it at is 450,000. 3 years later the building's now worth 650,000 but you're still buying it at 450 so you can assign and sell sell to somebody based on you buying it at 450 then they're buying it from you at whatever price they buy it from you at. And that's all profit right there. Exactly. And now I guess that wouldn't really qualify as a principal residence cuz you don't move into it. So there'd still be taxes on that and stuff. But uh, that sounds like a pretty good investment strategy without having to deal with financing. Uh, it definitely can be. If the building building appreciates well, there are many people who exit with the assignment without having to get, get put a mortgage in place, without having to deal with any of that, and they sell the property. Okay, so let's say they've chosen to um, take the property. Now they've got one of two choices, to move in and finance it that way or to not move in and rent it out. You want to explain what the financing scenarios would look like there? So if they're moving in, they're, they're going to be moving into this property as their residence. When they actually finance it, they, they can go back, even if they put like 15, 20% down as deposits, they can still finance this as with as a 5% down purchase. Oh, that's interesting. So, so what that means is that those deposits they put fifteen, 50, or they put twenty percent down as deposits. It means that that extra fifteen percent will effectively come back to them as cash in hand. Hmm. Okay, that's cool. So yeah. that's where the first time home buyers thing could sort of work. Yeah, well, it's just that's that's where I'll just say the insured mortgage. If they want to fi- finance it as a five percent down purchase, that can still work. So would they be able to borrow funds to do that? Let's say they their parents wanted to lend them the other 15%. And at the time of closing, they get to pay their parents back. Does that work? If, if, if they had, yeah, if, if they had borrowed money from, from a family member for part of the deposit structure, yeah. then yeah, at, at closing, when they finance the property, they could definitely do that. Wow, I'm actually paying attention to this conversation, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's say they want to rent it out. Obviously, this is a bit of a, a different approval process. Let's say they own a house somewhere. They, they, they're an investor. Um, they've refinanced in order to have the cash available for the deposit structure. And now they want to rent it out. What do they have to do? Just just uh, so at closing, so here's here's one of the tricky parts, and and because when you're dealing with new construction, you've got the HST. Okay. If you're buying it as your principal residence, you get the HST credit back, and it's instantaneous. Yep. So so essentially, by instantaneous, it means that you're not having to pay the HST on closing. If you're buying it as an investor, and this is you're closing on it, saying, hey, first of all, you need twenty percent down, so you can finance maximum eighty percent. And that HST on closing, you actually have to pay that HST on closing. Huh. Now, 
because it is being, if you are holding it as an investor, as I'll say a long-term investor, and I'm saying long-term investor versus the, uh, the hey, I'm, I've closed on it, now I'm going to sell the property and I'm just going to pot and I'm going to pocket what I've made there's a difference, but the long-term investor, so you're going to hold it for multiple years as an investor, you can file things back and get the HST credit. I've done that a couple of times. It usually takes about 45 days, 45 to 60 days for that money to come back. For the credit as for, an investor. For, yeah. So you, 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 you pay the HST on closing and then you file the forms and your lawyer should be able to assist you with this part here. You file the forms, they're filed, they get filed in with the government and then about 45 to, to 60 days, it might vary, but somewhere in that time frame, you'll get a check back for that HST amount that you paid on this property because you are holding it as a long-term investment. Hmm. Well, that's and th- interesting. <laughs> and this, 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 this is one of the areas where there has been a lot of uh, the government's been going after a lot of people who particularly they're selling it within their first year. Hey, they, they bought it and now three months later, they sell it. And they, because they bought it, they say, I'm closing on, it's going to be my principal residence. They get the HST credit on closing. 90 days later, they've sold it. This is where the government's been going back after a lot of people saying, uh, you, uh, you got a, you got a $25,000 HST credit. Here's the bill. Pay this. <clears throat> I actually know a guy who does that as part of his service. It comes down to whether they're selling it as a resale or a new build, because if somebody has moved in, they can't claim the credit. But if they haven't moved in and it goes through like a checklist of have they used the drain, have they used the toilet, it's kind of sneaky. But if the realtor doesn't know what they're doing, they list it as a a resale and not a new build, um, they can go in and claim that, uh, that HST when they're they move in or when their client moves in or whatever, and, and the bill ends up going to the seller. Yeah. <laughs> because they claim it as a resale as opposed to a, that's, that's very interesting. So really it's, it just comes down to two different forms, right? If they, they fill it out wrong, like, it, sorry, let me, let me, let me reframe this. So if what you, what you were saying is they're going after the government for people who are saying they're moving in to claim the, uh, HST rebate. Yep. But really they're just investors that want to flip the place. So they, if they're short-term investors, they can't apply for this. If, if they're short-term investors, if you're holding as a long-term rental, you can apply for the HST credit back. But if you're selling it, if you're selling it within a short period of time after taking possession, the government's been coming back after a lot of people saying this, this does not apply to you. Uh, the HSTs do. Ah, okay. I see what's happening there. So they're really just basically trying to to, to prevent anybody from selling it right away. Yeah. Well, it, it's either basically the HST credit or they're, they're trying to prevent people who are just doing the buy and flip. Yeah. So I guess that's where you would want to get into that assignment area right there. What happens when you assign that? Who has to pay that HST? Uh, in that case, they're the whoever the new purchaser. They would it would fall on them because they're ultimately the one who's buying it. So the person who's closing on the property to purchase it. Okay. Wow, that is pretty intricate stuff. Yes, I remember first learning about this, and I, I didn't understand what speculating was. And there have been a lot of things put in place over time to to try and limit that. But man, some people make some really good money doing this. Yes, and uh, it doesn't re- doesn't require that much to start. 
especially right now, we've seen that the, the housing prices kind of all over the country skyrocket year over year. Boy, anybody who's speculating on that has been, been doing real well this year. <laughs> COVID is not all bad. Um, I think that pretty much covers the topic. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, the uh, the only thing I'll just add on here is is what do you want to look for if you are looking to buy pre-construction? And I always look and say, say how are they pricing it? Because I've seen scenarios, especially with condo buildings, where the pricing is like 20, 30% above what the market is right now. And I know that they're saying, well, we're pricing it based on the future price. So if that's the case, does it make sense for you to buy something today based on it being at a price that's that's projected for what it's going to be when you're taking possession of it? Or are you better to perhaps buy something in a neighbor building today that's at the price it is today? Knowing that, hey, based on what they're saying, in four to five years, the new this this property here is going to be worth uh, 20, 30 percent higher. That and almost it, sounds more like a rent to own. <laughs> so I and, and and I've I've seen I've seen people who who have gotten into problems because they bought this. I'll say you want to buy. The, they say in sales, don't you don't you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. Yeah. Well, in, in real estate, when you're buying, you want to buy the steak. You don't want to buy the sizzle. You don't want to go to the flashy sales center where they're going on hyping, hyping, hyping this project, where if you look at the prices, they're significantly above what's currently available in the market. You want to go to the one that is not necessarily the most flashy one. They got solid, solid project in a good area where the prices, the price you're buying for today is comparable to what the price is today. Because then you know that that that's the one where you're going to get depreciation. So you actually want to know about the chef who's selling the steak. Yes. <laughs> Great analogy. Um, I, I can't remember who actually said that the first time, but, uh, oh gosh, I actually heard that recently who said that the first time. And I thought it was just a, it was a really interesting snippet of sales history, but you're absolutely right on that. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, Obviously, we've covered that you need a realtor to get involved in that, but you also need one who really knows it inside and out because there are so many intricacies to it. And the financing, I I don't think it's all that tricky, but I do know that it's more challenging. I I was looking at buying a condo in uh, downtown Toronto a number of years ago, and it was 499 square feet. It was a one bedroom, and it was super cheap. It was (laughs) $218,000. but I couldn't close on it with the bank financing because they they said it was too small. They wouldn't finance a micro condo. It was one foot too small. They would only go to, to 500 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is this a common thing for you? You like? <laughs> Uh, I've, I've experienced that. And based on the policy of the lenders, there are, there are lenders who will not finance be- below certain sizes. Uh, so, so saying that there are lenders who will, so that's where having a good broker on your side who knows the, <laughs> the, the market that's out there, knows the different options is very, very helpful. So this is where I'm going to get upset for a second. <laughs> now, as I'm sitting here talking to you about this and thinking about the scenario, I was listening to the realtor and he had a banker and I, this is long ago when I didn't know anything about, you know. I didn't even know enough to know that I didn't know anything. That was where I was at in real estate. And I was listening to the realtor and he took me to the bank because he had a banker. Yeah. I never went to a broker and I didn't know back then what the difference was. Yeah. 
And it really upsets me now because I got turned down once and let the property go. And now it's probably worth goodness knows at least double. Yeah. Sorry. Got a little upset there. <laughs> I'm better now. <laughs> a little pecklamps. You remember the uh, the church ladies back in uh, the 90s on Saturday Night Live? Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Jonathan, anything you want to wrap this up with? Always a pleasure speaking with you, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Everyone listening, thank you very much for tuning in. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. And thank you for listening. If you want to find us, uh, you can find us on Spotify. Google Play. Of course, you can download our free book at investmentpropertyincomebook.com. If you want to shoot an email to Jonathan, get uh, your financing questions answered or be a guest on the show. Please don't hesitate to shoot Jonathan an email at ipincome at a mortgageplan.com. I know it sounds really complicated, but it's not. It's an ipincome at mortgageplan, amortgageplan.com. Jonathan, as always, thank you for coming on here and sharing your wealth of knowledge with me and entertaining me while we do this. Have a fantastic day, and I will see you next time. Thanks a lot, Jeff. You too.